Support for the show comes from Atlassian. With a new story about AI coming out seemingly every day, it can be hard to know what it all means for you and your job. Atlassian thinks there's a lot to be excited about in the AI-powered future. Even right now, Atlassian's AI-powered software can help you boost productivity by eliminating menial tasks, generating insights, and helping you find information about projects, policies, and processes. No matter if you're a team of two or two million, or if you're around the corner or on another continent, Atlassian software keeps everyone connected and moving together as one towards shared goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher, mother of dragons. I have some ideas on what we should name your child. First off, I think we, <laughs> we should did. name your child. Well, no, it's not too late to rethink this. It's on the birth certificate, but okay. I think it would be fun to name him Picker Upper, and then on the passport, it would say Swisher Picker Upper. <laughs> I thought of that all myself. <laughs> I thought of that all myself. That's good. Oh, my God. You want to know a striking thing? What's that? I, I put the list of names that were rejected, including two by my sons, Augustus and Constantine, which felt a little too Roman emperor, although Solomon is up there with that. But, you know, it's sort of a more biblical name. But all the men suggested their name, like you and George Hahn. 100%. And, <laughs> yes. Well, you know what I was hoping? I generally, I generally was hoping that you were going to have twin girls that we would name Anna, that way, when I saw them, I'd say, Anna one, Anna two. <laughs> That's good humor. <laughs> That's good humor. I am not having any more children. So this you've missed your opportunity. I should be yeah. the godfather. Because no. you got to do this for me. One, I take the kid to coffee and I'm like, no. I, I get to say, I'm the godfather. I'll have an Al Pacino. No. That's worth it to be the godfather. <laughs> I'm rich. No. I'll get him into a good school that he yeah. doesn't deserve to get into by paying a lot no. of money, either no. like USC no. or USC. This is a hard no. You're not hearing my notes. And then as I get older, as the godfather, I will make him offers he doesn't understand. No. He doesn't understand. I'm going to pass on this one. going to pass on mm, all these. I would I be gotta an tell awesome you. godfather. I, will, I would be I awesome. I will bring this child, the golden child part two, the sequel, uh, to you, but, and you shall meet him. What is the name? Solomon. 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 Jesus Christ, you have gone full golf weirdo. <laughs> Solomon? Solomon! Yes, King Solomon. Solomon. I wanted the name to be King, so don't even talk to me. So we're going to call him Saul? Saul. Solomon? Saul. Saul. Or Mon? You guys aren't even Jewish. Oh, wait, Amanda yes. is part of the tribe. <laughs> yes. okay. okay. Solomon. All right. All right, just throw a little. Is there anyone like, else like we seven. haven't offended yet? Anyone else we haven't well, offended? Well, you haven't made a lesbian joke in a, in a long time here now. By the way, I got a lot of questions about who even picks the last name. This is like who parks the car in a really difficult spot. I just don't get it. Who picks the last name? 
Oh, we wanted Katz as the last name. You know, my sons are yeah. Swishers, but right. um, but Swisher is in there. So it's Solomon Lee, which is after uh, her beloved grandmother, before you open your mouth. Um, nice. And then um, L-E-E, uh, her grandmother's L-E-I-G-H, I believe. And the Swisher Cats, that's what it is. Solomon mm-hmm. Lee Swisher Cats. I think it sounds great. It sounds like a Supreme, my, my son said it sounds like a Supreme Court judge right now. No, or, I'm pretty sure that's the general that invaded Roanoke <laughs> in the confe- for the Confederate <laughs> Army. <laughs> and then Solomon <laughs> Lee took the fort under heavy fire. <laughs> Louis, Louis did note that. You, are, you guys too. are so grandiose. You're such cultural elites. Not a lot of kids in Kansas named Solomon. <laughs> that's right. Anyways. That's right. And this is not a kid in Kansas. Scott. There you There's go. a lot of kids Solomon. named Scott. Saul. <laughs> Scott. Saul. Scott. Saul. 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 I like Although the name of that. I'm getting a lot of notes from people who said, I, my grandfather was named Saul. My great uncle was named Saul. Like, just yeah, like and they go to they go to Boca for Christmas. Boca. I'm going to see all of them. I know. I'm going to introduce Saul. Saul I like again. this. Saul. Saul the dog. Cats. I'm in. Saul the dog. No, no dog. Yeah, There's yeah. no dog. The dog. Pick another animal. No, dog. no, no, no. This is very exciting. He's a beautiful boy. Four weeks early, as was Clara. Clara was thrilled, calls it my baby. So it's yeah. uh, so she's really thrilled to be a big sister, I think. Um, and we'll see how it goes. We were up all last night because Clara needed to be up all night last night because she's a little bit like, what the hell's going on here? I am the golden child. So I have a little advice here. You know what really helps when you have a kid at our age? Yeah, tell me, because I've already been through this already, but go ahead. Please you know, give me really, advice. The, really the key to having kids at our age? Yeah. Money. Yeah. Surround I agree. that kid with night nurses <laughs> and just surround it, <laughs> lubricate it with money. It's like having kids at our age is like yeah. living in New York. It's awesome if you have a shit ton of money. Yeah. Can I just say, I never no. thought I'd heard, hear the word night nurse come out of Amanda Katz's mouth, but it did this morning. Oh, yeah. No, I, get the night nurse. So get the night nurse. <laughs> like, night nurse. And I'm like, what? Like, because she yeah, never says that. We will, we, no, we are not. thinking of it. That's a really um, good idea. But, uh, but he's great. He's really a very calm baby. And the hospital was great, except the nurse and the doctors argued with mm-hmm. each other during the delivery. <laughs> That, that instills confidence. Can I just say, given all these like uh, employment constraints, you know, there's a nursing mm-hmm. shortage. Um, mm-hmm. They, uh, you can see these doctors wanting to like throw a fit, but couldn't. They couldn't. Can you imagine what their lives have been like the last two years? This nurse went out to get coffee during the delivery. Like, I need some coffee. And the doctors are like, what? I need a break. I'm sorry. Can you hold on a minute? I just need a break. I need some personal time. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. I know. Well, there you yeah. have it. Can you stop dilating? I need to take a break. <laughs> well, that was essentially what happened. But then was giving the doctor advice and telling us different things than the doctor. It just was. And you could see these doctors who've been so used to being able to push around nurses, not able to. It was very funny to watch, except for the fact that Amanda was in pain. But go ahead. Our moment, our big moment was, uh, first off, I, I I had to sit down. I was so sick and nauseous. They were worried about me, not anybody oh, really? else. Why? And then, yeah, I can't handle that shit. Where I wanted to get cord blood because everyone, yeah. I did, did you save cord blood? No. Whatever it is. Well, yeah. anyways, we did. Mm-hmm. And Good. we didn't, we got all these vials and things and, and reserved space for the cord blood for years. And she forgot to do it. And she looked at me and she said, you didn't remind me. And I'm like, I've never done this before. Oh, like, God. I'm supposed to know what to do here? Yeah. 
Anyways, how long did this all take? It should have been shorter because, again, with shortages, it, they were slow to put the – there's a thing, a drug you give people to go into labor a little bit quicker at this, mm-hmm. at this early stage. And then the epidural took a while. The, the doctors, it's just – it really was interesting. Like, it's, it was – it went on longer than it should have, but it was fine. Mm-hmm. It was fine. And it was great because this is a preemie, really. And uh, But he's really big. He's really nice. It's anything. It's great. I'm really happy. That's very exciting. How's Lucky feel about all this, most importantly? You know, she's good. She came over. She bought an extraordinarily expensive outfit already. So she's happy. She's happy. She's buying baby clothes. And she bought Clara a uh, a purple tutu, which was a huge hit. So things are well in the Swisher Cats family. Well, congratulations to you, Kara and Amanda. Thank you. Well done. Thank you for for Stephanie for taking over. You guys were very funny. So let's move on to some things because today we're going to look at some troubled uh, D2C companies. We'll talk a bit about spyware Mm -hmm. and the brewing Hollywood fight over NFTs and a Tarantino Mm -hmm. classic. I can't believe I'm saying NFT and Quentin Tarantino in the same sentence. But we got, again, more peaks at Netflix numbers this week. They did this at the Code Conference, if you recall. Netflix launched a new website that shows its most popular content around the world, which is the first time they did it was at Code. They're ranking shows by hours watch, so we don't know exactly how many people are watching, but it's an interesting statistic. It's the most popular English language TV show, as it was when we were, I think Squid Games was moving up, but it was Bridgerton um, with Shonda, the deal they did with Shonda Rhimes. So it's just interesting that they're doing this and they're really, they're under pressure, so they got to release more numbers, correct? Well, yeah, and it also just, it just, uh, they're kind of just blowing away the competition. If you Mm -hmm. look at the numbers, it's sort of, it's sort of Netflix and the Seven Dwarves. I think that they're, you know, I think they're like sixth most popular show is more popular than any other show. Um, They really do move through these things. And there's, there's more hits to come right now. They have Tiger King 2 coming. Um, Mm -hmm. This movie, Maid is about a maid is doing really well. You know, they just continue to, to like crunk them out, I guess. I think the, the, the kind of weird thing about it or the different thing, it's at total hours viewed because I guess a lot of people start a show and don't finish it. And mm-hmm. so this attempts to address that, I think. Yeah. Uh, but look, they continue They continue to inspire. I believe the Netflix, I was thinking about this the other day, B2B is easier than B2C. Yeah, mm-hmm. because B2C is sexier. And so there's more people dream of starting a B2C company more than they think of starting a B2B. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that has made B2C harder across almost any any sector is one, 40%. All, all, all consumers for any online business, which is every business now, have been sequestered by Facebook and Google. 40% of all venture capital raise goes to Facebook and Google. They become taxes, no longer services or points of differentiation. But also, the entire consumer world, consumers, have been trained to expect your offering to basically give them $1.5 billion of content for every dollar a month they give you. Netflix has literally trained the consumer to expect so much for Mm -hmm. so little. And in the world of Mm -hmm. media, it's like, how do you compete against that? How do you get someone to spend 10 bucks a month on anything in media when they go, oh, that's what I spend on Netflix right. and but, and what they get from Netflix. So it's it's kind of – Netflix has been almost yep. deflationary for the entire consumer ecosystem. Yeah, it's interesting. It's And you looked – you saw those Disney numbers were down and Disney shares got a hit. We talked about that. Yeah. But then they keep turning them out like Red Notice, Dwayne Johnson, Gail Godot, and Ryan Reynolds. Look at those stars. Those mm-hmm. are big friggin' stars. And this big is a big stars. hit. The last big hit was with Chris Hemsworth too, uh, an action mm-hmm. movie. I'm going to mm-hmm. watch it. I, yeah. It's just really interesting. I mean, I, like I still think stuff? these people are trying to catch up, but when the others do not have the stamina this con- company has still. They're going to, but they don't have it. And I know that uh, the new head of Warner has been going on. I've got, I've got the content. I've got the stamina, but 
boy, they don't have the stamina of this country. <laughs> just, just don't. They just well, don't. a great peanut butter and chocolate combination is inc mm -hmm. an incredible culture uh, and talent combined with $16 billion yeah. in weapons cash to produce content. And, you know, Hulu just wasn't going to come up with Squid Games. You yep. know, they, they, they have the ability to try just strange stuff. And in addition, their strategy around expanding, um, taking American capital and production values to what I'll call uh, uh, regional creativity and regional storytelling. Yeah, you've talked about this. No one, no one has no. gotten, no one has even no. begun to do that. You know, it was funny that I, I watched Larry David. I love him. Uh, and he's just come back and he has a whole thing where he goes from to Netflix and deals with them trying to do the, a show called Young Larry, which is hysterical. And then he has to mm -hmm. move over to Hulu, which is even funnier. Um, so it's kind of interesting that you have a, that's as a plot point on an HBO show of a guy that sort of created science, the network, the top network show Seinfeld. It's very funny to sort of mm -hmm. look. He's so, he's so fantastic. He's very good. I was telling these guys, I have to interview Emily Ratajkowski later today. That's who you get? <laughs> Let me get this. <laughs> you bring, well, I guess there's something in that for you as well. Um, yeah. Oh, stop it. Now, here's something I have to say. You were correct, mm -hmm. uh, Scott. Bobby mm -hmm. Kotick um, knew more about uh, sexual misconduct of the company and hid it from the board. I was very surprised by this. Um, I mm -hmm. was impressed by his letter. I still am. Um, he took a big pay cut. He wrote a letter with very specific changes. Um, and now this journal story, the extra stories off of it, is it, it's a little not quite as – there's a lot of serious things. It's how much the board knew, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the board has backed him very strongly. Um, obviously, this company has gone from $14 billion 10 years ago to $52 billion, something like mm -hmm. that in value. Mm -hmm. I think they'll keep backing him until that time. And, until they, but they need to do an investigation, a very independent board-sanctioned investigation where the board actually does its job, which you talked about rather significantly when we talked. There, there's a lesson here for entrepreneurs, and that is – and this is – this is either why board members need to resign or they need to fire him because uh, when things are not going well at a company, you want to over-communicate with your board. Mm -hmm. Like when business is bad or there's something along the lines of maybe needing to a rape accusation, you need to that moment yep. send a message to all your investors saying, this has happened. Uh, mm -hmm. And and your tendency is to want to wait till you know more information. Just yep. immediately say, this is going on. Or yep. our sales are way down this week. Because surprises right. are fine to the board as long as they're good surprises. And bad news is fine, but it can't be a surprise. It can't be the the, the – it's never the crisis, Kara. Mm -hmm. It's never mm -hmm. the actual crisis that gets people in, in trouble. Yeah. Or what gets them more in trouble, I should say, is the way they handle it. And if this story is true – if they actually settled, I mean, we get on boards, you get a list of lawsuits of pending litigation, much less before you settle. Mm -hmm. And so, and the weird thing is, I don't know if this is true, but I got the impression on the stuff I read that they may have even settled with someone before they the did. board knew about it. Yeah. If that's the case, if there wasn't a rape allegation and then they settled with someone before the board even knew, either that means one of two things. Either the CEO uh, should be fired for not disclosing what is a material event to the board, mm -hmm. or they have such a shitty board that the CEO doesn't feel a need to update well, it. Well, that's what you, you were talking about, right? You were talking about that idea of a board that most boards, most of these tech boards do not do their jobs. 
But there's got to be an independent investigation here regardless, I think. You know what I mean? We just don't know. Like, we don't, like, they have to, I think, you know, there's been a walkout, um, some shareholders that have um, not very many shares uh, asking for a resignation. And so I think it has to be, uh, it has to be. And of course, now, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan downgraded. They've got to have a, uh, they've got to have an investigation, a, a, a very independent one. Um, so I don't know how else they can do do it, but they, but the board has said, the board of directors responded to the journal's article Tuesday saying it remained confident in Bobby Kodak's leadership. So w- we got to find out what's happening here, like exactly. And, and By the I think, way, those statements, Kara, just so you know. I know, the, I know. The, I know. The, the day before they fire a CEO, they'll say they fully support the CEO. Yes, that's true. But actually, in the case of, what was the recent CEO where they didn't say a word? What was it? I'm trying to blank. There was one know. recently. I get it. I just feel like this needs an investigation. This is my feeling. But maybe I'm wrong about that. You think not at all. Just go. If there was a rape accusation and then a multi-million dollar settlement with the person making the accusation and the board was not informed of that, you either need a new board or a new CEO. Okay. This just is, that just is not corporate governance. Right. That, that, that is totally unacceptable. Boards get a list at every board meeting of any pending. If someone – if there's an employment action – in California, the board needs to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the notion that there was this type of allegation and then a payoff where the board was never informed, either the board is so feckless and anemic that they don't feel a need to update them, which means you need a new board, mm-hmm. or the CEO tried to brush this under the carpet, which doesn't make any sense. This guy can't be this stupid. There's more no, he's not. There's no. more information to come out here. We're, there's yeah. just a missing piece because you read this. So you, what do you think? If the board did know or that they didn't? I have, I have no you, idea. These are such serious allegations and it's right. such a great company that I don't want to speculate. But right. as, as reported, this is – just so unusual and so unacceptable. So I feel like we're not what's, getting put, a story. Put the puzzle piece that's missing. What's missing? A subcommittee, like typically the dynamic on a board. So now I'm really mm-hmm. playing like armchair therapist around boards. That's all right. You bet. You you do this. Also. Typically, what happens is there's one or two board members that have all the power, mm-hmm. and that is the person who owns the most shares or the person who is kind of the most famous or wealthiest person on the board. There's typically the uh, bad boards fall into one type of behavior. And that is they all show up for dinner every three months, they stay stuff. And then they look at the board member who matters to see, yes, to try yes. and get there before he or what he or she says. That has been a thing at tech companies I've noticed. Yeah. And so the CEO may have been corresponding with kind of like the power player on the board. Yes. And they may have made the decision themselves and said, oh, you know, the board, they're a bunch of famous credentialed people. We pay a quarter of a million dollars to to get free dinner every three months so they can think big thoughts. Mm-hmm. But there may have been behind the scenes that a subset of the board knew about. I but see. the fact that the fact that there's now reporting and someone is going uh, going off the record from the board, this mm-hmm. just sounds like a very dysfunctional situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and whenever you're talking about a rape accusation and a settlement, it just takes everything to a new level where you not only need a board, you not only need a CEO, you're probably right. You probably need a third party to come yeah. in and investigate yeah. it. Yes, 100%. That's the, that's the next move here, I think. Because they're not going to immediately, this is why I think they won't immediately remove him. Um, because the, I know they make these st- these statements, but this was quick and very supportive, which is interesting. 
Yeah, but these are smart people who have a lot to lose in terms of their reputation. Yes. Just something doesn't add up here. Something mm-hmm. doesn't add up. I don't All know. All right, we'll, we'll watch see. it further. I think you were on the money about the board stuff. So we'll see what happens here. But I have to say, you were right. I was. I, I, I did like that letter. I still think it was the right letter to do. But obviously, it's not just what you're going to do in the future. It's what you did in the past that's just as important. Ooh, wise one. Name the little one Yoda. <laughs> that's a good idea. There is no try. There is only do or do not. Boom! Okay. I don't like Star Wars that much. That is why you fail. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's go ahead. a new name for LA's Staples Center. It's the Crypto.com Arena. Shall we go? What do you think? It's Crypto.com is a cryptocurrency services company based in Singapore. They paid $700 million for the 20-year naming rights. The Staples Center first opened in 1999. Uh, this is not the first, by the way. Earlier this year, Miami's American Airlines Arena became FTX mm. Arena, named after another mm-hmm. exchange. Uh, what do you think? This is a five-year-old company. Would this be another Enron field? Yeah, that's the right analogy. So first off, I would hope they got the money up front. Mm -hmm. The larger story here is that there were more unicorns birthed in Q2 than any other quarter. And the biggest uh, birther, if you will, was fintech. And I'm just struck at the value. I'm just struck at how many 100, 200, $300 billion players mm-hmm. uh, fintech is birthing. And also yeah. crypto, if you look yeah. at Coinbase. I mean, th- there's just there's just so much capital and market value accreting to fintech and crypto players that I think you're not only going to see them naming stadiums, I think you're going to see them start to buy media assets. Oh. I think they're going to buy – I think they're about to become – the nexus or the le- or the epicenter for the race for super app and in addition they're going to start they're going to start buying all kinds of cre- i think they're going to buy sports teams because they're going to say you know what yeah. the the yeah, anything with money know. attached to it right transactions yeah the you know the the real madrid is worth mm-hmm. a billion dollars in nfts and mm-hmm. so whoever owns Real Madrid is going to – I think a fintech company, it's the arbitrage of attention and passion. And that is if you look at what's happened with Apple TV Plus and Prime Video, the, the amount of money they're investing for any reasonable evaluation of the business in the, in and among that just business itself, what Ted Lasso produces in terms of economic mm-hmm. value, it makes no sense. But if they can if they can leverage that passion and that attention into creating a small amount of differentiation or a reduction in churn or an increase in NPS or an increase in loyalty across Apple or across Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. they can spill five, six, ten billion dollars. Yeah. And what you're about to have with crypto is if PayPal can get five hundred million monthly active users by acquiring Pinterest. Yeah. It's worth $25 billion. Yeah, but they didn't, right? Didn't It didn't. I think they decided, okay, well, the market didn't like it, and I think they think they're going to pick it up cheaper. But I would have I would have stuck to their convictions because the reality is Pinterest is has got 500 million people that are engaged, and they have their attention. But the whole thing sits on top of a shitty business model where they're charging flooring companies to run really bad ads that pollute mm-hmm. the entire platform now. Mm-hmm. But a payment platform can come in and say, you know what? We can monetize a, those half a billion MAUs much better than you can. Yep. Interesting. So you're about to see every crypto and fintech player look at all sorts of things, whether it's naming a stadium, buying mm-hmm. a media company, mm-hmm. buying a newsletter company. They're about to become – 
they're going to start acquiring rights for stuff and buying stuff in areas that you you would not even naturally believe of. We're going to yep. see a lot of this kind of thing. We're going to go, really? That company is paying this much for this? And people will take the money. Okay. 100%. Right. Why wouldn't they? I wish I wish you had become a cryptocurrency billionaire, and then we could buy a stadium. There's again. still time. <laughs> the Prof G coin. Uh, the Prof. Oh no. The Prof G no, coin. No, no. No, no, a no. smart contract that gives you unlimited Chipotle uh, and erectile dysfunction. All right. Bye I now. knew that was coming. All right. Off now to the moon. Let, let's try to be classy right now. Let's have a moment of classiness before we go to our big story, Scott. You held a fundraiser this past weekend. That's right. You're not just a silly, ridiculous man that most people think That's you are. Right. Um, for the Jed Foundation, can you tell us about? Uh, so we were really excited to do this. As you remember, about 18 months ago, I was really rattled by the uh, death of Alex Kearns. Um, mm-hmm. And you I decided I, I committed to uh, getting involved in uh, and raising some money around teen depression. And I found the Jed Foundation, which is a, a nonprofit that protects emotional health and prevents suicide for our nation's teens and young adults, giving them the skills and support they need to thrive today. And tomorrow, they work with schools to try and help schools have the resources and infrastructure to identify kids at risk and then work with them to develop kind of life skills. It's a Mm -hmm. wonderful organization started by a couple that lost their son to suicide. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I found this foundation uh, through a friend, Alyssa Rabin, and we committed to having an event. Oh, great. And it was delayed 18 months for obvious reasons. Anyways, we – we held the event last weekend. Uh, we raised $450,000, which is all going to the foundation. So I just want to point out uh, Robinhood, I think $21 billion market cap, quarter of a million dollars. Gulfstream community, $450,000. I am keeping score. I am keeping score. <laughs> good. That's a good amount of money you made. That's a good sum that you made there. Anyways, we were happy to do this. It's a wonderful organization. If people want to learn more, Please uh, check out the Jed Foundation. They do fantastic work. Jed Foundation. I love it. Thank you, Scott. Okay, Scott, time for our first big story. Some big pivots among direct-to-consumer companies. Peloton announced a new stock offering on Tuesday of nearly 24 million shares. So it'd come over a billion dollars. Obviously, they've been struggling earlier this month. The company told analysts they didn't need any more capital. The reversal didn't seem to spook investors, though Peloton's share price increased after the announcement. Um, I'd love you to explain this, um, but let me go through the others. Peloton's also suing some rival companies for copyright infringement, which I think a lot of companies did. I recall there were several mobile companies that did this, and they're not there anymore, but nonetheless. Casper Sleep, the mattress-in-a-box company, is going private. Um, It's valued at about $300 million, down from a billion in 2019. I'm not surprised by this one. It's consistently operated at a loss. According to filings in Q3, it lost over $25 million. Other D 2 C companies like Warby Parker and Allbirds are opening more stores. So let's start. Let's start with Peloton. There's all kinds of D 2 C things happening. What do you think about this stock offering, please? Well, it's on you. You pointed out it's unusual for when a company. I mean, Peloton is trading at forty eight bucks, and yep. at one Down. point it it was up. It, it hit its fifty two week highs, one hundred seventy dollars. Yeah. So it's sort of unusual to do a stock offering. They're effectively a little bit doing a stock offering into weakness, which you don't like to see. They've clearly decided to shore up the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. It's strange, though, that when the stock is at about, you know, it's off kind of 70% from its yeah. high to do an offering here. And shareholders usually don't respond positively, but shareholders mm-hmm. like this. They wanted to see the balance sheet shored up. 
I just think bankers are circling everywhere around this thing because yeah. it's a great brand. It's a great product. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the monetization of attention and passion. And the mm -hmm. thing, not all attention is created equally. And the attention of one to four hours a week of the Peloton community is an incredible asset because the people it's grabbing the attention of are some of the most powerful and influential people in the world. Everyone from the yeah. president to Beyonce are in front of the Peloton OS. So you're still pro this company getting sold and- Oh, it's 100, it's in my view, I, I'd just be shocked if it was an independent company within 12 months because- and we keep saying that. It would be great for Nike, but the problems Peloton is having in terms of operational synergy around being acquired is supply chain. And the company with the best supply chain in the world is Apple. I just, mm -hmm. I, it just strikes me as almost strange that Apple, hasn't picked this up yet. I bet Nike's looking at it, and I bet there's some private equity players even looking at yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then you, but you have a CEO and a board probably saying, sorry, we're going to wait till our stock's back to 170. We're not going to let you pick it up on well, the Well, they cheap. have to keep coming up with things that sell more. There's a point where you can't sell any more of those bikes, right? Or it gets slower. There's expanding, if you will, vertically or horizontally into different products, but there's expanding vertically into apps, fitness apps that don't require a device. But a lot of pressure from Apple Fitness. A lot. There's so many yeah. fitness. There's so much going on out there. They do have the one of the best ones, obviously. But yeah. it's still it's still a real. Um, we'll see where this company goes. It's really suffered over the last year, I would say, after a real peak during the pandemic. So we'll see what happens here. So what about um, Casper? Not a surprise. I'm just all I would say. Casper should have never been a public company. Yeah, I believe you said that. I bet that $300 million number is a press release number. I bet there's all sorts of terms and conditions on it. Uh, Casper is sort of the rent the runway of yesterday. It's a cute idea that makes no economic sense. And the yeah. idea of getting a mattress in a box is really cute. They did nice branding. It's uh, basically a, a great consumer value proposition because when you give Casper- Like purple? My sons love their purples, by the way. Well, Purple is interesting. Purple seems to be a more efficiently run company. Purple actually makes money. And I don't know if it's through scale or their supply chain. But Casper is basically a group of bright young people who did great branding sitting on top of a totally outsourced consumer like value Like the towel people. Like the, what is that company that sold off that towel? Well, there's just Bro no diff Brooklyn real difference. There's no real differentiation there. Uh, actually, Brooklyn, and I think, had actually real supply chain uh, uh, advantage. But anyways... Um, started actually by one of my students. Um, anyways, right, the, right. the Casper, Casper never was able to figure out a way to make money. Um, it should have never gone public. I remember meeting with those guys probably four years ago, and they were doing around at a billion, and I closed the door, and I said, I realize I'm going to sound like a boomer here. And I'm not exaggerating. I said, sell right now. It's just, this company's not worth a billion dollars, guys. Sell right yeah. now. Yeah. Tell your investors you've been approached by an acquirer and see if they'll take it, because this thing yeah. went public and never made any sense as a public company. The yeah, same thing. Yeah, who could they have sold to? Um, no one well, was actually, that at a billion uh, dollars. Come on. Oh, you know who was looking at them? Some big, <laughs> big box retailers were looking at them. Yeah. Um, that felt they could scale them. Uh, th this is what happened to Casper. Yeah. Is exactly what is going to happen to Rent the Runway. Right. They're going to come up with a bunch of excuses for why they can't get to profitability, and they will either be bought or go private again at a valuation far, far south of where they went public. Well, they spent a lot of money on advertising. Uh, Subway, I remember reading one a while ago, podcast ads. I don't I'm going to have one in a while. They sued reviewers who gave them bad scores. Um, what could they have done differently? Open stores? I, I think, did they have stores? They may have had one or two stores. Casper? Yeah, I don't recall. 
Uh, they did have they did have a couple stories. Casper was a Back to the Future, and that is the algorithm for creating economic value from 1945 to the introduction of Google was come up with a mediocre product, a mediocre shoe, a mediocre salty mm-hmm. snack, a mediocre car. Um, manufactured in Lansing, Michigan, and then wrap it in amazing brand codes and great advertising that creates irrational margins, stuff that mediocre channel and print money. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden came along these weapons of mass diligence where you no longer needed to defer to the brand in a shitty product. Mm-hmm. You could buy a good product that didn't spend as much money on the brand. So Casper was sort of a throwback because here's the thing. The product was manufactured in uh, facilities that were manufacturing other mattresses. Yeah. And then when when all of a sudden there were 76 funded VC-backed mattress-in-a-box companies, it's like the only thing they had was kind of a cute brand and Yep, that's true. I agree. I was when I saw them all in San Francisco, I was like, uh oh, this was two several years ago, many years ago. And if you're on a board or if you're investing in a consumer company, margin is sort of the source of truth. And they had negative margins. They had to they had to offer you a mattress for eighty bucks that cost them a hundred bucks to get it to you. So That's explain the to me the difference truth. between Warby Parker and Allbirds and these guys. Oh, Warby Parker is, is night and day. Warby Parker spends, I think, about. Forty dollars, or somewhere between forty dollars, to acquire a customer that spends one hundred and forty dollars. I do. I buy only my glasses there now. They're cheap. They're cheap. Within a year, thirty to forty percent of every customer buys again. So it's CAC. I just bought five pairs of glasses from them. I buy five pairs. That is the innovation. Their price point. I don't want to say makes. It makes glasses disposable, but if I can get 80% of a $700 high-end designer frame yeah. for 99 bucks, you go in and you buy three or five pairs. Yeah, yeah. I lose my glasses all the time. You yeah. don't need to love that pair. You just need to like it, right? Because yeah. you go through them. So I go in, you buy three or five pairs, but here's the thing. The CAC, this is the ratio you want to think about in a business like this. And direct-to-consumer is just so weird. It's just a different acronym to try and put mm-hmm. – Lipstick on the same peg of specialty retail we've been doing for 40 years. I don't understand what they mean by DTC other than branding. But yeah, you want to look at CAC, customer cost of customer acquisition, and you want to look at lifetime value. Look at how repeat purchase, margin on that repeat purchase, percentage of people to repeat, and you come up with an LTV. And the CAC to LTV for Warby is much stronger than Allbirds. And also, Warby gets 58 points of gross margin. Uh, Allbirds gets 51. And and then if you look at Warby's growth and On Running's growth, which is really the gangster here, mm-hmm. versus Warby at uh, like Warby's, I'm sorry, Allbirds only growing 13% a year. Warby. So Warby and On, like gangster companies doing fantastic. And the thing about Warby that's so, that's so attractive is that the incumbent is so fat, dumb, and happy and lazy. They really Luxottica. are. I haven't been inside. I used to hate get. I have really bad eyesight, and I used to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and it wasn't an extra special thing to go there. It, they would have had to lick me up and down in those stores to make me feel better, but they didn't. Think they about the just... distribution channel. Sunglass yeah. Hut? Yeah. Think about where you buy sunglasses. They're like little shitty, like little boutiques that overcharge mm-hmm. you or Sunglass Hut. And yeah. then Warby came in with these great apps. Yeah, I go to the stores. stores. I don't do any of their online rigor and moral. Yeah, the stores I'll tell you are that. great. Yeah. The I stores did are great. what I did what I do use their online and they do it well is I had forgotten my prescription and I put they made it simple to put it in and then they're at my house like days later. It's really quite amazing. Anyway, interesting times. We're gonna go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about NFTs and take a listener mail question. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. 
one of our customers who produces pizza at a very large scale all across the world. Believe it or not, they use AI to review the quality of the pizzas that are created. That goes through a workflow that scans the images of the pizzas and makes sure they visually look like what they should. So it's pretty cool. That's Sharif Mansour, Atlassian's head of AI. Sharif thinks there's a lot for companies to be excited about on the AI-generated horizon, spanning everything from making pizza to producing podcasts like the one you're listening to now. There'll be far more jobs created on the other side of this revolution. Instead of a world of less, Sharif envisions an AI-powered world of more. In everyone's day job, they're moving from doing the thing to often being an architect of the thing. It unleashes the potential of every human. And I think we can go from a world where few people have access to a high level of intelligence to a lot more people having access to this information. AI is really giving everyone on the planet more resources to do great things. And I'm very optimistic about that opportunity that lies ahead. Transform teamwork with the power of AI-human collaboration. Start using Atlassian intelligence for your Atlassian products like Jira and Confluence now. Learn more at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N dot com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Scott, we're back with our second big story. Quentin Tarantino has a suitcase full of glowing NFTs and Miramax wants it. Earlier this month, Tarantino announced that he would sell NFTs based off of his original handwritten script for Pulp Fiction. It didn't sit well with Miramax, which owns rights to the film. Now Miramax will strike down upon him with great vengeance and furious anger. That's a very Quentin Tarantino thing to do. They're suing him. Uh, so the big question is, is minting an NFT the same thing as publishing a work? Tarantino's lawyers say yes, and the director retained the rights to publish his screenplay. Miramax says no, and said the director's rights are far too narrow to include NFTs. It's a very interesting thing. And I told you earlier, I'm going to be interviewing Emily Rada, uh, Radikowski, who also did this with uh, a photographer who took her pictures. And she then did an NFT, made quite a bit of money, um, uh, by a picture next to the picture of herself, which she, and she wrote a very interesting piece for New York Magazine about this, trying to buy myself back, essentially. And if you find NFTs confusing, you're not alone. Here's a clip of someone explaining them to Quentin Tarantino at an event where he promoted the sale. If you were to actually NFTize every frame of Pulp Fiction, let's say, the shot where the two of them are holding the guns has become like that meme image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy Christ, dude, that would sell for millions for sure. Tens of millions? Then that sounds like a, a clueless dork. How is that different from all the stills that already exist? The image of the NFT isn't the thing. It's the sense of ownership. Now, when you own it, now we're down to the blockchain. And this is where NFTs get interesting. At the level of the blockchain, think of that image as having matrix code inside of it, literally. And now I can detect through technology whether you have the real one or a fake one. Gotcha. Oh, and okay. if you have the real one, you can come have dinner with Quentin every year, you mm. know, whatever, on the launch date of the hey, film. Right. Uh, you get to enjoy the image, but you don't yeah, get yeah. like the matrix code inside. 
Talk about this, because a lot of artists are doing this, trying to take back their IP, essentially, that they sold off to Hollywood companies. Miramix thinks it has a case, or are they just trying to scare artists uh, until the studio can figure out a way to roll out its own NFT sales? And is this a moment? Um, Is this going to be part of negotiations between creators and studios forever, just like everything else, podcasts, merchandising, et cetera? This is one of those big things that is kind of boring and won't get a ton of attention, but it's actually mm-hmm. a pretty big deal in the world of business because you're it about is. to see. I mean, first off, um, I think if, I think actually people talk about crypto. They, uh, there's always a narrative that emerges around any emerging business, and the narrative mm-hmm. right now is that crypto is here to stay, and the bigger coins, the Ethereum's, the Bitcoins are enduring, and that you know, watch out for NFTs. Though that feels very bubbly, I actually think NFTs might be more enduring because. One of the things about our species is we love to signal power and strength and artisanship. And I have one piece of art in my only own one piece of art, and it's a Grayson Perry, this really interesting British artist, and it's called Map of a Politician. And it's one of, I think, 110. And he signs it and says, all right, number 73, and you believe based on the, you know, uh, 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 the art industrial complex that it really is only one of one in, 110. And it signals power and artisanship from the owner from me. And so I pay a lot of money for this thing. And I think the idea of an NFT is essentially signaling. It's going to say, all right, that image of Samuel Jackson and John Travolta pointing the gun, you're going to be the one that actually owns that frame, which is just signaling. And then you'll be able to use that signaling across multiple mediums online where more and more people are gaining or losing status. So I think think what's really enduring here is the notion of signaling value, signaling strength and signaling a store of value. So what you're about to see in every IP contract, if you and I were to do an original scripted drama on big tech mm-hmm. with with call it with Hulu or something, you can guarantee now there's going to be three pages saying anything referencing, any image, yeah. media file referencing this work we own in any medium. Because you're about to see a lot of this stuff I mean, it, it, the, mine kind of boggles there. I think sports teams literally have gone up 20 to 30% in value yeah, because of the, of the future monetization capability of NFTs. And so this is, A, I think it's enduring because I think it's, people love to signal worth and value in class by being the sole owner of something that feels unique and interesting. And media assets are really unique and interesting. And it's about to take the value of media properties and sports teams way up. And quite frankly, I think Miramax is going to win this. I think Miramax has said, look, this is intellectual property from an asset we financed and we own the rights to. And uh, if he wants to have pictures of him writing the script or pictures of him drinking a coffee at, you know, at the press conference, okay, maybe. But anything that kind of comes from the film, I'm pretty sure that the the interpretation will be that Miramax owns this boss. It sucks to be a grown-up, but they own it. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting area. And I think it's going to be just like, there's so much, you know, I read a lot, anything I sign now, I read very carefully on who owns the rights to what um, and remove things and everything else. I just did it the other day because they are, they do cover the whole landscape like a giant blanket and it's not anticipating NFTs. I wonder what NFT we could make. What do you think? I think artists are going to go crazy about this stuff. You can guarantee that at some point when we sign another document, Vox is going to have something in there about NFTs. But this is an extension of another big trend in Hollywood that's been happening Mm -hmm. over the last decade. And that is when I do, uh, when I sign up for something or you sign up for something, the pay has gone up uh, to do the production, but the company, the studio 
wants all the back end rights. So there's going to be very few Seinfelds in the future where they make $200 million on the reruns. Yep. The studios yep. have all said, we'll That's pay enough. you more up front, but we own everything that happens from here yeah. on. Yep. And this is going to be that in spades. They're going to, every contract is going to say any possible monetization of this IP moving forward in any medium, maybe we give you a commission on it. Maybe you get 20%, mm-hmm. but it's ours. And yeah. it's, it's just going to take the value of certain NFTable assets way up. Yeah. What are we going to Imagine how many going? NFTs could come from different images from Mad yeah, Men totally. or from Breaking Bad. Yeah, totally. It, you can imagine a world where AMC or whoever produced Mad Men makes more money from NFTs from middle, you know, midlife crisis guys who want to show, remember that scene with Don Draper in the diner, that iconic scene? I own the mm-hmm. NFT and he gets a printout and that can be his, his meme in a, a metaverse and he can, and he get, there's, they, they'll tack on all sorts of stuff. The last moments of uh, Soprano's life, Tony Soprano. That's right. And then you know who's going to make a shit ton of money? I mean, a shit ton of money is Hermes, Chanel and LVMH. Yep. Because mm-hmm. they're going to be able to say, and this isn't as much NFTs, but around the metaverse, I would like to have my meme carry a Birkin bag in the metaverse. And if I were Hermes, I'd be thinking, how do I ensure that anyone who wants to walk around with a Birkin bag in the metaverse has to own one offline or has to buy mm-hmm. some sort of an NFT? It's a, I, it is a great time to be an IP lawyer right now that understands NFTs. IP lawyers are interesting. I think IP lawyers are fascinating. I'm, I'm always been interested in IP. I think about it quite a lot my entire career. And you know what company benefits the most from all of this right away? What? OpenSea. It's the exchange. It's the largest exchange for NFTs. It's basically like the Coinbase of NFTs. Oh, interesting. All right. We got to think of an NFT before Jim get, is on to us. What do you think? Hundred. Percent. All right, we're going to go to a listener question. You've got, you've got, I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. Hi, Kira. Hi, Scott. My name is Omri, and I'm an engineering student from Israel. Recently, the U.S. government has blacklisted NSO, another attacking software company. My question to you is, can there be a legitimate attack software company, or is it an inherently flawed concept? And... What are the comparisons to be made between a firearms company and an attack software company? Thank you. Well, just Hmm. so people don't know, NSO Group sold the Pegasus spyware, which may have been used to spy on heads of state and journalists, including Jamal Khashoggi. NSO still denies this. The U.S. sanctioned NSO Group earlier this month. Last month, the U.S. government banned the sale of American hacking tools to uh, China and Russia. Not hacking, but the U.S. government frequently purchases location data from brokers in what some consider to be a market-based way around the Fourth Amendment. So uh, Nicole Perlroth talked to us all about this. That's what her book was about. And I think she did Mm -hmm. not think there could be a legitimate attack software company, correct? And they were like gun manufacturers in that way. So most importantly, and I know we're all thinking this, and sensing it, does Emily Ratajkowski want to meet me? <laughs> has she said anything about me? She has, has not. She said any, has I have, she mentioned me? I have me? not spoken to her yet, but I'm has guessing. Has she mentioned me? In a, in, no. In anticipation mm-hmm. of that, no. Hard have no. Have you mentioned Another that I'm the godfather no. of Solomon? But no. he is the godfather of Solomon. <laughs> okay. Um, Answer this nice question from Israel, from an engineering student in Israel. To me, there's a metaphor here, and that is there's a great market for building nuclear submarines and tanks. It's just yeah. that there's you're yeah. building it for one customer. You're building it, or two, I should say. You're building it for the U.S. government or the allies of the U.S. government that the U.S. government approves. So I would bet this is actually 
a decent business, but you are now a weapons Company. manufacturer, yeah. and you're going to go through the bullshit of, of, of getting the U.S. government to buy it. But once you have the U.S. government as a client, it's the best client in the world. So it's the biggest and best client in the world. And, and also, then you private can companies use these attack software companies too. Not just uh, to the me, these seem tracking. quite frankly, they just seem like they just seem like weapons, and yeah. they need to be regulated in terms of so. who you can yep. sell them to. I think there's a metaphor here, and that is just weapons. Yep. I think your you're thoughts. Right. I think that no, I think that's an excellent answer. I, it's more so than firearms companies. Absolutely, this um, is different. I, I don't think you're going to stop these things, and I don't think people who run them give a fine fuck about th what they're doing. They just want, you know what I mean? Like a lot of these wanna, firms that cash do corporate check. spying, et cetera, et cetera. All right, Scott, taking one more quick break. We'll be back for predictions. Make it a good one. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this show comes from the Harvard Business Review. You know, there's this idea in business that some people are born to be leaders. You either have it or you don't. But leadership, like any skill, can and should be learned over time. Whether you've climbed to the top of the corporate ladder or are just starting out, you'll find valuable insights at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a leading destination for smart management thinking. And on their website, hbr.org, subscriptions are just $10 a month, which gives you unlimited access to the same level of expertise. Things like case studies, newsletters, podcasts, articles written by some of the world's top minds. I use HBR in my research when I do articles or when I'm thinking about what to talk about on Pivot. I find them really interesting. I find them complete. I find them different. And you can find all kinds of industries covered. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. What a bargain. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, save 10% off your HBR subscription. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT. Okay, Scott, give us a prediction, and it can't be about Emily Ratajkowski or my child. What are we going to talk about? Um, <laughs> Uh, so a child, by the way. We do. Um, when I say we, my my team, we loved trolling the patent filings. There's mm -hmm. this website where you can see what patents have been filed by different Ooh, companies. Really? Which is kinda That's what you do? Oh, it's so illuminating. Is it? Okay. And it's also an incredible PR strategy. Amazon will file a patent for a warehouse that floats in the sky, which is which is physically mm -hmm. impossible. Yeah, but Facebook they do it because, this, yeah. because journalists troll these things and then write them up. Yeah. And a way to seem innovative is to start filing crazy patents. Anyways, Apple has filed a patent for a camera to go into the base of your AirPods, your AirPod Maxes. And oh, I think the next shoe to drop in the metaverse mm -hmm. is in the next three months. And I think Tim Cook is cooking this up and it just is just loving this. Yeah. I think Apple is going to show up and say, okay, playtime is over. The metaverse is here. It's called the App Store. It's augmented reality for him. 
Yeah, augmented reality. That's what uh, it is. We already have the closest thing we have to a metaverse right now in terms of leveraging other people's IP. There's never been, there's never been a yeah. universe that leverages more creativity with a more seamless portal into that creativity than the App Store, yep. the iPhone, and then and then the AirPods. And he'll sit on stage and he'll say, "Okay, this is yep. how many." Oculus was sold last year. It was between three and a half and five and a half million. This is mm-hmm. how many Crocs were sold last year, mm-hmm. 60 million. And this is how many AirPods were sold, 115 million. Yeah. And it's interoperable. It's open source in the sense that there are hundreds of billions of dollars in capital pouring into the metaverse known as the Apple Store. He's going to put a camera on the, AirPod, or on the AirPods. And he's going to say, folks, the metaverse or whatever you want to call it is here. And it's from a company you trust. It's from a company you're already going into different worlds with every day. And it's from a company that has the portal that is easily accessible and seamless. You're not going to whip out a fucking Oculus. I mean, think about it. I was having, I was with the Nikkei. I got interviewed by the Nikkei yesterday. And we were talking about the metaverse. I'm like, who here in this crowded bar it's going to say, oh, we want, need to do a meeting back in Tokyo with your editor. Mm-hmm. Let's put on our Oculuses. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. So, But we could sit there with our AirPods in, and mm-hmm. there could be a camera, and and then you have a phone. You already have a central server. We put our phones up, and we could talk to his editor for three or five minutes. Yep. It would be awkward, but you could yep. do it. Yeah. You know, think about Zoom calls now. I'm now doing Zoom calls off my iPhone while walking with AirPods. You do. My, They're very nauseating. They're very annoying. Um, <laughs> no, they're nauseating because you're moving. You're like, where's God going now? But yeah, you're right. I agree with you. I think it's going to be- I'm all- nauseating when I'm not moving. That's no, what women fine. have told me. Um, I like when you have the backdrop of the beautiful ocean behind you, the Atlantic Ocean. Um, I agree with you. I think augmented reality is very important to, to um, Tim Cook. The one lunch I had with him in person by himself, all he talked about was two things. I think it was Alabama football, of which I tuned out completely, and mm-hmm. augmented reality. He couldn't talk about hmm. it enough. He made a few eye rolls about Uber, but otherwise, that was it. And it was, it, it complete, this was years and years ago. Like, I'll, I'll never forget it. I was like, wow, that was interesting, except for the Alabama football part. Um, it was interesting. He talked a lot about it, was thinking a lot about it. It was on his mind quite a bit. Now, he was, you know, he's not known as the innovative guy. He's known as logistics guy, but I was quite struck by a lot of his ideas. Oh, they've that. been innovative. Uh, the, yeah. I mean, if you think about everything that's required for a quote-unquote metaverse, first off, there's a really strong argument that, okay, if you look at the the universe that is the Earth, mm-hmm. it would make sense to have one government, one economic policy, social services that are shared, one military globally. But here, here we are with 197 countries. Yes. So the notion that anyone is going to be able to consolidate yeah. our online universe is equally ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And there are also a lot— there are a lot of companies from Twitter to Epic to FIFA to, to Fortnite to— You want them to interoperate. That's what you want, much like the internet, right? Instead or of, interoperable, right? Yes, that's you, you right. You could take your, your Chanel bag from one place to the other, or you could take your contacts. Much like the internet, at, before Facebook sucked it all up. You know what I mean? Like, you can't have one platform because it, it's bereft of ideas. The the rest are going to be just big, giant thuds. I mean, the Microsoft yeah. metaverse where we're going to go online and be legless but have access to Excel, <laughs> that's just not legs. that compelling. There's a reason for that. I, I think I just love the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is is showing up with literally the biggest fucking thud in history, and that's the Oculus. That's his vision for the metaverse. Mm. Yeah. Um, but peop- it's not going to be the metaverse, but some sort of, like you said, augmented reality. Yeah. It's coming from Apple. Yeah. He's going to get on stage. I'll buy those in a New York friggin' minute. I will pay hundreds of dollars. 100%. I will. 
He's talking to me, tells me to go here, take a left, go right. I totally senses where you are. Like yep. uh, there's just a ton of commercial applications, consumer yep. applications. The weak link there is Siri isn't as good as Alexa. Siri, I was just going to say Siri's so stupid. But it's still, and not only that, all the things you need, you need capital, you need a ubiquitous portal or a wearable. They have a central server called an iPhone that you already have on you. Yep. And not only that, what they also have is they have trust. People actually yeah. trust Tim Cook. And to a certain extent, Apple is a democracy because they have a single class of shares. No one can yeah. become a fucking megalomaniac depressing teens. And he, and he can, Tim Cook can be replaced if enough people buy enough shares at Apple. Like, yeah. it, is, it is true corporate governance and it's yeah. not – it's not a Facebook. Anyways, a Metaverse, big thud. Appleverse is going to surprise to the upside. Love it. Okay, Scott, that was a really interesting prediction. Made me think. Made me think. I have to say. I am I'm wise gonna, like King You're going to have to keep me lively with all these children I have. There's so oh, many of done. them. Night nurse. Night nurse. Bring on yeah. the night nurse. <laughs> no. No, I have to say, Louis Fisher was great during the entire period because he uh, took Claire to school. He drives. Alex hasn't gotten his license yet. But it was nice to my my. Elder children have both have been really great around this whole thing. It's an interesting time, Scott. I cannot believe I am never, ever going to retire. Anyway. Oh, you got to bring home the bacon, just I so you know. I got to bring home the bacon. And bacon prices are up 20%, which is the most upsetting thing about inflation. You got you to gotta bring it. We got to NFT this shit. Anyway. All right, Scott. I'm so excited to come down to Florida with my giant family. And that is yeah. the show. We'll tape from there. That's good. We'll be back on Tuesday for more. Uh, we'll have one more show before Thanksgiving and then many more after that. we got a lot of year-end stuff coming up. We're very excited. Read us out, Scott. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Thanks also to Drew Barrows and Mia Silverio. Ernie Entretot engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot and Vox Media. We'll be back next Friday for another breakdown of all things tech and business. I'm the young man's godfather. I'll have an Al Pacino, please. <laughs> That's no. good. Hard no. Hard, hard no. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here, chances are your team is marching into the AI-generated horizon. Atlassian Intelligence is unleashing a new era of teamwork. You can use Atlassian's AI-powered products for everything from brainstorming ideas to finding information to summarizing huge documents, all by using normal, everyday language. Atlassian AI-powered software like Jira and Confluence help teams accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how you can transform teamwork with the power of AI at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features.